I am Laura McCowan. And I am Holly Whitaker. And this is Home Podcast. Hey, Laura. Hi. Hello. Hello. How are you? I am I'm doing great. <laughs> Liar. <laughs> well, I don't want to start out every single one of these saying, I'm great. I know. I feel like... Um, I'm great ninety percent of the time, except for right before I report a record of <laughs> yeah it's we we're learning we're learning things yeah no i'm um I'm sitting on my sister's i'm in I'm at my mom's home um in Fresno I'm wearing my mother's pajama pants and a bathing suit top. <laughs> And a silk scarf around my neck. Um, it's a beautiful picture. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, but I'm I'm doing good. I actually am. I'm I can't complain. I'm I, I leave for an extended trip out of the country in just a day. I'm actually prepared for it. I have a small mm-hmm. things left to do. I mean, you know, I, I and I just had my last client call. You know, and so I'm just. I should be doing really good, but <laughs> it takes a while. Yeah. I'm exhausted. Um, what about you? You had an interesting day. You got, I I'm good. Today was great. Uh, there's a lot of work craziness going on, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm good. And I'm excited to do this call and this interview. And um, I think, I think we want to start out by saying why is why are we re-recording this podcast where I am interviewing you? And we were going to release it on yesterday, and we decided, nope, we're gonna we're gonna put it off, and it'll go up tomorrow morning. And why do we do that? That is a great question. Um, so I have to say, I was not really. Um, I think you. I mean, you knew this. I, I was going back and forth on wanting to re-edit it for a bit of time, and. Um, there was just something that didn't feel right about it. And then I sent it off to one of my very trusted advisors um, who edits blog posts for me. And she, two things happened. One, she said it was great. It's just perhaps use less F-bombs. <laughs> wonderful in that she's always very brutally honest with me. And that wasn't even that brutal. And it just kind of stuck in my head. And then she also asked me for a link to an article that I'd referenced, um, the, the first post that I ever put out on my, in my real life, mm-hmm. posed, you know, basically outed the deaths of, of my struggles with bulimia and pot and, and alcohol. And, yep. And uh, I read that piece. I, I read that piece and that was kind of, it was a a pivotal piece for me to write and I hadn't read it in a while. And so I read that piece and it just was, it reminded me so much of why I started doing this. Mm -hmm. And I started doing this for a very, I I would say a very serious reason, right? Just because I, I had come from healthcare and I had seen the failings of the healthcare system. And I also had seen the failings of our society's ability to deal with addiction in, in my mm-hmm. own experiences. And that's a very serious matter to me. And I 
feel, I felt, I went back and I listened to it for the 10th time <laughs> and I felt that I didn't take it as seriously as I felt like the interview was not portraying the seriousness that I take this role and, right. and that there were too many F-bombs and that's not to say that the F-bomb is, is bad, but it, it is to say, I want people to hear this. Um, I want all people to hear this, not just my demographic, not just the women that love the fact that I'll say, you know, the F word 20 times in an Instagram post. <laughs> I, I want to be heard. Right. And I felt it wasn't a fair representation of, of how serious this is and what this means to me. And it doesn't mean to say like, I need to take this in a different direction and I'm going to stop writing about my sexual encounters or my bacterial vaginitis or <laughs> because the, the importance of, of sharing our stories is also a very serious business. And yeah. And you're you, you know, the, the, you are only, what is it? No one else is you and that is your power. But you know, you're, what we want to talk about in this, in this episode is your story and what got you here. And ultimately, you know, you weren't, you weren't feeling right about it. And you, you know, you texted me in the middle of the night and said, I'm not, I don't want to do it. I want to re-record. And I said, okay. <laughs> As I board a plane to New York, I, yes, we will re-record because it's important. So I'm, I'm glad and I'm good with it. And I feel like there are, you know, this is our show. So we get to do things like that. And you, and you get to say things the way you need to. And, you know, personally, from my standpoint, I, I'm too close to it to, I loved what you said. And, um, and I know I'm gonna love what you say now. And, uh, I think that, that it's, um, you know, we're there. This is an exercise in perfectionism. It's just we know when things. I, I know it sometimes when I published a post or something, and it's just like, mm, no, that's not what I really wanted to say. And sometimes I, I'm I'm definitely this way, and I think you are too. Figuring very much figuring out your story as you go, and every time you tell it, you learn a new piece. But there, were, that's not what we are figuring out in this. What what was happening is you were distanced from what you started with in hip sobriety and in your work now. And that's, you know, it wasn't accurate. So, so here we go. Here we go. And nervous again. (laughs) Good. (laughs) Even more. Good. It's a good way to be. Okay. So my dear, do you want to introduce me? I do. So yeah, that was the greatest part about when you introduced, when you interviewed me as having to, as being introduced. So Holly Whitaker, also on many of your social profiles, Holly Glenn Whitaker, and you are a, you are a entrepreneur and you run a company uh, and a website called Hip Sobriety and you um, where you blog beautifully and write some of the most I never I sometimes don't think about your blog as like a blog oftentimes because it's almost um, it's like 
vast resource of you put so much into everything that you write and um it's so much more it's like a book uh, of resources in there and 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 you you know you're in every single piece that you write and it's very different um than most than most blogs out there um we're going to talk about why you found hip sobriety you're also you know you are really wonderful on social, especially Instagram. And that's where we found each other, which we talked about in the last episode. And, you know, I think when I think about you, you're doing something that is nobody's doing. Um, you are brave and that means that you're not fearless. (laughs) You're afraid a good amount, but you're doing, doing it anyway. Um, which to me is magical and so important. And um, yeah, I, I, um, I'll say some closing remarks when we finish, but, but that's who you are. And, um, you know, you're doing a lot of really groundbreaking and important work for women, especially uh, women who are facing addiction and, you know, really want, a different kind of path to work through it and not just address addressing the, the addiction itself, but all of the, you know, what you said to me very early on when we met was that, you know, you, you don't want to just like be a person who doesn't drink. You want to create a life that you don't want to escape from. Yeah. And that, that's like a, that's a radical statement and it's true. I just had never had the words for it, you know, and, and I think, you know, that, that comes through in all of your work. So, so thank you. How did I do? Wonderful. <laughs> okay. Um, so we're going to start with some, uh, some drinking questions and, um, figure out your story there and then we'll, we'll go into more of the, you know, the bigger picture. But so when did you, when did you first start drinking? How old were you and all that? Yeah. The first time that I ever, um, drank to, to, for the, for the sake of getting drunk, um, for the sake of drinking was in between my eighth and ninth grade year. My sister had a house party while my parents were out of town. It was the summer between eighth and ninth grade. And it was also the summer where my parents were in the middle of trying to save their marriage. And so they were out of town a fair amount. And I, my sister had a house party. She didn't do this too often. Um, and this was the first time that I'd ever been around one, but I, I knew I wanted to drink. I just, I remember it very clearly that I had, I had had my suspicions that that was what kids did in high school. And I had watched enough of um, Can't Buy Me Love. Or- <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew. And, um, and I wanted to do it. And mm-hmm. so she and her friends had a small party. And, and my girlfriend and I drank Zima and wine coolers and then puked. And- oh, God. <laughs> I forgot about Zima. Oh, that was my drink of choice. um, back in the day. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so that was the first time that I ever drank. And to be honest, I, I don't remember. I mean, obviously I don't remember so well because I was about 90 pounds. Um, (laughs) but (laughs) I, I don't remember it being something that really took, I thought of it as kind of like a special privilege. And then 
um, the first time when it really did take and when it really became the start of, of, of drinking being part of my lifestyle um, and partying was when I was when I was 15 years old and it was in between my ninth and, and uh, ninth grade and tenth grade year and I a couple of uh, a girlfriend and I went to a movie and uh, some boys picked us up. We didn't go in the theater. They took us to a party for the two hours. I mean, I don't even know how that worked, but they took us to a party. And <laughs> I, you know, I just, I, I remember very clearly I saw, I, I saw a girl that I um, looked up to and uh, she was walking around with a red, um, one of the red Dixie cups and not Dixie cups, but a red party cup and drinking solo cup. Mm-hmm. Ew, God. <laughs> um, those were my, I know those because that's what I drove around with, uh, and drove and drank wine with for the last few years of drinking. Oh. Uh, I know my red solo cups really well. <laughs> Airline shots and flasks. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I just saw her, like, I still can see it. I can see her one hand with her nails and her cigarette in the same hand, holding the beer cup, walking around the party with a flannel shirt tied around her waist. And that's what I wanted to be. That's what I wanted to look like. And it was Mm -hmm. at that party that I, I had, you know, my first beer out of a keg and I had a couple and I got buzzed and, um, and it just, you know, I mean, as everyone, I think that has ever drank when they were in high school, that was shy and painfully awkward. Um, it was that like moment of feeling like I was something more than what I was. And that Mm -hmm. moment of those lowered inhibitions where I can talk to boys and flirt with boys and, and not be the incredibly awkward 15 year old with braces. And so that was, you know, it stuck. That was the first time it was when I was 15. And, and that was kind of, that was it. Right. I mean, and from there on you know, Friday night stopped being sitting in my best friend's room and playing board games and, you know, teeping houses. It went into searching for parties on the weekend. Right. Yep. So yeah, and that's young, <laughs> but it, it is. So when, so when was the first time that you were concerned about it though? Cause that wasn't it. Yeah. And it's so funny because I, you know, going back and listening to, to myself and, and, and doing this the second time, I almost feel like it's acting the same play ugh, twice. And so, um, so I thought about this and in my first, I think one of the things that I, I didn't hit home hard enough. And when we were doing this the first time was that, there was a first time that I was concerned about it, um, but there was also just so many times that I was concerned about it. And right. I, think I didn't really make that point that I got, you know, I did, I got, I made an ass out of myself so many times in high school and spent the night on bathroom floors, right? Um, and just, you know, I would say I felt like I was the one that couldn't hold, you know, I was the one that was, I felt I had. I made an ass out of myself many times in high school that I got drunker, you know, not than everyone, but just that it was kind of, you know, if you're going to put your money on it, you'd put your money on that. I wouldn't be able to, you know, walk at the end of the night. Right. And, you know, I wouldn't say that I thought I had a drinking problem then and there, but I will say I had a gross fascination with people that couldn't hold their liquor. And I was consistently comparing myself to other people's behavior to validate my own. And if somebody got drunker than me, I was really relieved by it. And so I don't know if that counts about of, of that being when you were first concerned about it, but I'll say that the first time that I ever felt I drank quite differently than other people was when I was 17 years old and 
I, my mom was out of town and I worked at a drugstore and I came home by myself with a six pack because I was, you know, nursing a broken heart on a Saturday night. Um, you know, when my friend yeah. and I drank by myself and smoked, I wanted to get drunk by myself. And I, I would say that that was probably the first time where I felt, um, that, that, that was, that that was not normal and that that was not what my friends were doing. Um, yep. Yeah. I, when I hear the part about, um, comparing yourself pretty early on to what other people were doing, I mean, I just know when most people didn't do that, you know, really. And it's, I don't think, I think sometimes we put these, we, we feel like our stories have to be a certain way. Like, oh, I did this one thing and it was like lightning bolt hit me and I knew I was going to be screwed, you know, or that I got shocked with terror. And it's just a, it's a, for more people, well, myself anyway, it's a gradual, it's happened. It's like Carolyn Knapp says, it's like trying to explain air, like it just, it's everywhere, you know, and, and you don't notice what's happening. So. Well, I think, you know, I, I want to make this point, which is that I think a lot more people are concerned about their drinking than lead on to it. They don't necessarily have like aren't necessarily, you know, alcoholics or aren't necessarily, mm-hmm. um, you know, we've, we've broken it down so much to, if you're concerned about it, then you have a drinking problem. I think if you're concerned about it, then that's just the problem in of itself. Right. Right. Yes. And because you have a knowing somewhere in you that you're, that you're ignoring, you know, that you're not, they're not really facing. And that is, you know, that it's something that, and you're right because we have painted and we're, we're going to get into this because it leads a lot into why exactly you're doing what you're doing. I think is we painted these very clear lines about what is a problem and what isn't so that you can go for a really long time in a really dangerous place without saying I, I have a problem because you look like almost everybody else. Yeah. Um, yeah, so. I think, well, I mean, the reason that this is such an important point for me to press is because I think it's a spectrum and my drinking was not the same when I was 15, nor was it the same when I was 18, nor was it the same when I was 23 and on and on. And there were periods of time in my life where I didn't drink on a regular basis, where it wasn't the fixture of my life. And there were periods of time, um, you know, earlier on where it was, you know, mm-hmm. I, of, I just read Sarah Hubel's blackout and I grew out of that, which she talks about. I grew out of, I wasn't going out with my friends on a regular basis and, um, and making an asset of myself. I grew out of that part, mm-hmm. maybe did stuff that I, I maybe crossed, you know, major lines, maybe once a year, maybe annually, I did something really stupid, you know, mm-hmm. but for the most part, my public drinking was highly in check, you know, and right. not only that, there were periods of time in my life after I had gone down a hole where I came back in and I reeled it back in. And I, there were times where I just didn't even have alcohol in my house. I talked about this in the last interview. I, I just remember it that I watched no, um, old, no, no country for old men. No oh yeah. Yeah. And I came home from the theater that night and I was terrified. I felt like somebody was following me when I, on my way home and I didn't have alcohol in my house. And I went out mm-hmm. to the store and I bought a glass of a bottle of wine and I hadn't drank for, you know, I didn't even have alcohol in my house and I hadn't drank for some period. And I remember later on, I would, I would think to that and think that that was 
very odd that there was a point in my life where I didn't have alcohol in my house. Right. Right. Because whenever you looked at that, at that point, you had had it as long as you could remember, you probably couldn't imagine not having it in your house. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't even that long before I fell off the ledge, right? That was when I was maybe 28 years old. You know, the question is, when was I first concerned about my drinking? Well, I mean, I was first concerned about it very early on and for for different reasons than I was concerned about it as I continued to drink. And I was concerned about it in periods where I wouldn't qualify as having an addiction. And I was concerned about it in periods where I, I definitely did qualify as having an addiction. And I think one of the things that I, I've tried to make clear is that there are many people that don't necessarily, I mean, for me, I get it. I get it. I know I used to see, watch how fast people drank. I used to measure myself up against, um, you know, who needed to drink, the, you know, who needed to um, have a drink sooner than I did. You know, I was, I was mm-hmm. very clear on that. I needed to drink much differently than, than, than most people did. But I also, I guess the point is I, that I've always tried to make clear is that it doesn't have to be like that for us to be able to, to have a problem with our drinking because it is, it's an addictive substance that we, that we, it's an, and it's our number one coping mechanism. And I think, you know, I've always been really careful about saying, um, about painting myself is that different because I think that there are, there are many of us that question our relationship with drinking that didn't necessarily have as big of a problem as I did with alcohol. Does that make right. any sort it's, of sense? Yeah, it totally does. I, I think I always go back to a question that, or a statement that someone said once that was perfect to me. And it said, you know, it doesn't matter how often you drink or how much you drink, but what happens to you when you do? Right. And it doesn't mean that what happens to you is that you end up in jail. It just means what happens to you on the inside. Like what, what do you feel like when you drink and after you drink? And that, that to me is it right there, you know? Yeah. Or even in between, I think, you know, a lot of, a lot of the torture of this is, is not even when you're drinking or right after when you're drinking, but it's the, am I going to drink tonight? Am I not going to drink tonight? Am I gonna totally, drink? I'm only going to have one glass of wine. Maybe I'll have two. It's the amount of, of mental anguish that we put ourselves through and trying to control something that is, is a substance that, you know, basically takes away our ability to control it as we consume it and in all sorts of things. So anyways, I'm, I'm getting off point, but the first time, um, that I had a very clear, clear, you know, like this is not normal was that time in my home with the, was the six pack. Like that's just the six mm-hmm. out thing else that, that I was that young and I was staying home on a Saturday night drinking a six pack of Coors Light. Yeah. And then, you know, you, so, so this is good. Cause it goes to, um, you were 17 then. And then what, do you, do you feel like you hit a bottom? Yeah, I, I do. And, and I want to be clear what a bottom is. I think a bottom is just when it becomes intolerable for, our, for us, where, where we just can't hide from, from the truth of what's going on in our lives anymore. You know, I think mm-hmm. so often, so many of us believe that a bottom has to be I lose my job, I lose my, you know, dog, I lose my man, I lose everything. And, and it's just, it's not, I think a bottom is just the moment that we're able to actually look at what's going on and, um, and take account for it. And for me, yeah, I hit a very clear, clear bottom. And I, you know, I very similar to, to as, um, I guess I'll say I got into a habit uh, when I 
I started a job in 2009 and it was a job that demanded quite a bit from me and a lot and, and basically many weekends of, of work and, and many um, hours of heads down work and mind numbing work, spreadsheet work. I was, I was an accountant. Mm-hmm. Um, I got into a habit. I want to say around that point of, of working from home for extended periods of time. And, and either, you know, during that time, it wasn't, it just wasn't that big of a deal. Like I would smoke, I'd smoke a couple of joints over the, the period of a couple of days just to push out a project. And as my, my job responsibilities increased, as my life fell apart, I ended up spending, I guess, going on these, you know, well, I'll say work vendors for longer periods of time. Yeah. In around, I took on a, a pretty ridiculous role and, and my hours were anywhere from 80 hours a week up to, you know, I mean, there was, there were times I would stay up for three days in a row um, to get work done. It was, it was just, it was, insane. this is, this is me. This is how I operate. I'm just, I'm an extremist. But did you, were you like drinking when you did that? Like, did you, did you use drinking or whatever to help you do that? Yeah. Well, not, not all, it didn't start off that way. Like I said, like there would be times where I'd smoke a joint during the week, you know, it just wasn't, it wasn't, um, I would say at first it wasn't that concerning to me Mm -hmm. um, that I would smoke a joint to be able to spread spreadsheet for eight hours. Right. I mean, (laughs) but over time as my drinking increased, um, you know, is it kind of blurred from, I mean, the thing is it blurred, right? Like I would get a bottle of wine in the evenings. I'd work well into the night. I, you know, and then I'd have to, if I was pulling an all nighter, you know, I'd switch to pot at some point. And then at some point the lines blurred and I was drinking two bottles of wine or I was going to bed still drinking. And then at some point it was, I was waking up in the morning and I was drinking. And right. it was really tied in for me with work because I was working all the time and because I was so miserable. And mm-hmm. the way that I started to be able to get myself through it was it was balancing myself out between caffeine, nicotine, THC, and ethanol. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I um you know, I started going on these, these like deeper benders and, um, it would go on for a week, um, or so at a time until I absolutely had to get in the office. But I, I mean, I look back, I don't know how I did it going. I don't know how I went so undetected for so long, right. but, um, I would just, they were getting increasingly bad where I would hold myself up in the apartment. And towards the end, it was, it was a decent amount of binging and purging because I was pumping so much alcohol into my body. If I had let it stay in me, I would have, ended up dead. Um, but I was pumping so much food and alcohol and pot and tobacco into myself to be able to make it through these streaks. And I just, there was, there was a morning in October of 2012 and I had already like been, I had already been bumping down. And, but this, this morning I, you know, I woke up and I had a, um, I had a a pint of Jameson, you know, like in my arms still. And I had no, um, sheets on my bed. It was just a down comforter. And I had my laptop next to me and it was still on and the, the blue of the TV was still on. And my floor, like I had, I had just stopped using trash bags at some point and my floor is just littered with trash and there were cigarette butts on the floor and my nightstand had become an ashtray. Oh. And it was just, it was just, I mean, it was just disgusting. I had just started putting cigarettes out in the same, and I would like, oh God, I want to get into it. But you know, my part, I was just, I was a mess and I stunk. And, and uh-huh. I just, it was, it was waking up to, um, to, to my nightmare. I mean, I can't explain it other than that. And I've written about it before. And it was just that, it was just that morning waking up. And, and I, at that point, 
I didn't believe in anything. I really truly believed that the point of our lives were was to was to you know make a retirement account and accumulate and do our work and get married and and I felt that there was really nothing beyond this. And yeah. I crawled out of bed and I fell on my knees and I just I broke apart and I hadn't cried in so long. I was so dead at that. I mean, I was just dead. I know. I just, I cracked open and I, I just started screaming and crying and and it was very, very theatrical. (laughs) Um, But it was, I I mean, I broke open and I asked for help and I asked God for help. And, um, and I hadn't, I hadn't done that. And um, so that was, I mean, that was my bottom because it's what I I remember. I don't remember so much of that time. I don't remember so Mm -hmm. much of 2011 or 2012, um, but I, I remember that morning very clearly and, and not only because it was, uh, it was that moment that I asked for help, but also because, um, it was also the moment that help arrived. Um, very shortly mm-hmm. after that was, um, I mean, just within a half an hour, um, you know, it, it changed. And so I call it my bottom because it was, it was the, it wasn't the end of my complete and utter self-destruction. I mean, I continued on killing myself, but it was the moment that I actually would say that, um, I started walking back, right. Like we call this, right. we call this podcast home. And I, like I said, that Mary Williamson quote, there's a path away from God and there's a path back. And I felt like that was the moment that I like, I can see it in my mind. Like I stop and I turn back and I start walking right. back. Yep. Yeah. And it is, it's funny. Um, I mean, I, I can, I know, cause I read before you and I had ever even talked, I read what you wrote about that night and it's this visceral, like there's a lot of pathos in that, <laughs> that post because you can feel, you know, I know what's, what it, I didn't have that exact same scene, but I know the feeling that's there where you're just like, whoa, you know, how, how did I get here? And it's so profound and awful and, you know, so, so was that also like your pivotal moment? Like, was that real? It sounds like it is like when you kind of turned and said, I'm, you know, I'm turning, I'm turning and going home now. (laughs) I'm going to start the path home. Not that you think of it like that, but. Um, yeah, no, that was like, like I said this last time that we did this, that was the moment that I hit. Um, but that wasn't the moment that I was ready to do something about it. And I think the pivotal moment was the moment like, and it's funny, there were a couple of pivotal moments like that led up to that moment, which were the moments that I started to actually consider that I might have to not drink. I think yeah. those pivotal moments, I think those are very pivotal moments where you go from justifying to yourself that you're just like everyone else. And then you actually are, um, deciding that you might have to do something about it. But Ugh, I know I, a couple weeks after that. So I, you know, after that morning on my floor, a co- you know, like I said, these things started to open up the next, I babysat for one of my friends who's a, a doctor um, the next night and all these weird things conspired. And we ended up on BART together and we had a long walk home. And he mentioned to me something about borderline personality disorder and then he and his wife left and I got on my computer and I started looking at borderline personality disorder. And I was 12 out of 13 for the diagnostic criteria of that. And um, the things that it, I know it's just, and it was, I mean, I was, I was certain. Right. And one of the things that, um, 
that it said was you need to stop drinking like now, like now. And that really lit a fire. And so that was when I purchased Alan Carr's easy way to control drinking. And so I kind of had this, I had the pivot of like starting to actually move towards it, but I still wasn't sure I was going there's, and, and everyone listening to this that suffered knows this. There is that just ultimate fear of, I, there's no way I can do this. There is no way I'm God. ever able to succeed at quitting drinking. I'm going to die from my addiction. And I went and, um, and, and not only that, just because we also feel like we're giving something up, right? We feel like we're giving something up. So, and I had this night just a couple weeks after that, and I was through Alan Carr's book and I was reading it, but I was, I just, I wasn't taking it. I guess I wasn't taking it seriously, even though I was reading it. I was, I was diligently reading it. And then I had, I wasn't sure I was going to do anything about it. And I, I just had this night out with a girlfriend and it was just like any other night we went out and, um, I was minding my drinking at that point. Um, meaning when I went out, I, I only had maybe three whiskeys, which I could handle very well at that point. Yeah. And, um, and she got very drunk and at the end of the night, right. And she did, she kind of violated a lot of things. I, I asked her to not do, and you know, she picked up guys for us and we were hanging out with guys I didn't want to hang out with. And, and then that night I tried to get her into um, a cab and she was just, she was belligerent and she was mean and she called me names and I, I couldn't get her into the cab. And then I got home and then she texted me all night long. And I, I was just, I was 30, it was 34. I think I was 34 at that point. I don't know, 33 at that point. And I was just done. I was just done. There was, yeah. there was, this was the thing that I had been so afraid to lose, right. Were these moments and that was one of those moments. And it was just, there was nothing in it for me. And so that was, that was the moment that I just, I didn't want that life anymore. And that was pivotal for yeah. me. That allowed me like coming to that, like, I don't want this allowed me to very quickly. I mean, the next, the next day I, I went to a wedding and on Sunday on my way back, I had my last drink. Um, and that would be the first attempt. It was, it lasted for about 60 days, but it was, you know, I mean, that was the moment where I just didn't want to, I stopped clinging. Yeah. It's so crazy. Like when I hear you tell that story, it totally blows my mind because I did not reach, like, it's, it's, it's fascinating. First of all, there are a couple things like, and this is, I think, true to most people's stories where you're sitting there, you're reading a book called the easy, you know, how to quit drinking. It could be, I mean, for me, I consumed every addiction memoir out there and you're sitting there like pouring over these books and yet there's still this big wall of whether it's denial or distance between you and this thing you're doing. Right. And, and you're still going like, you're fascinated with this book and Alan it's funny because Alan Carr I read his book too and his book is very much like what you experienced that night when you went out like you're not missing anything you know you're really afraid to let go if you actually think about it you know he flips everything into like when I first saw the title I wanted to if I don't even know if he's alive but I wanted to like punch him and kick him and, and you know knee him in the, in the balls, because it's like the easy way to quit drinking. Like F you. No, there's no easy way to to control drinking. Okay. Same thing. (laughs) Like there was no easy way to, to do anything about drinking for me. Um, 
so when I hear you tell that story, I think it's like, it's such a key part to how, who you are and in, and your path and why it's so important and unique and how you've helped me really, because you had this flip, right. Where you, you didn't want it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, yeah. and it's one of the, like, I guess like the important part, like that you, we talked about last time that I really definitely want to include, which is that I came back. I, I literally, I have a picture of it. I took a little picture of my wine on the Amtrak train and then I came back and I was done and I didn't touch and I didn't even think about it. And I was actually really happy about not drinking. And it went from, I mean, you know, it went from the scene I describe in my apartment, you know, which was, which was out of a horror movie as far as I'm concerned. And it went straight to oh, I'm done. Right. And I popped right out of it and I went to the bars immediately and I hung out with my friends still. And I still went out like my, my friend, um, my friend threw a party for his boyfriend and we stayed out until like we went to one of, we went, you know, after hours to a bar and we stayed out till 4am just maybe just a week or two after that. And I stayed out with them all night and I didn't even want to drink the whole time. Yeah. It was just, you know, for me, it was, um, his book worked wonders. Um, it was, you know, the, the trick was the, 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 I guess the joke of it is that there's no easy way to control your alcohol. And the only way to control it is to not drink it. Um, and it, that coupled with, I mean, I have to say that coupled with the, the threat of borderline personality disorder, um, which I was certain that I was developing or I don't, I manifest, I have no idea, but that coupled with that coupled with, uh, what had happened in my social life that just, you know, and, and being so done with it, it just, it was a perfect storm for, for, for breaking it. And I don't, I don't know. I, it, like I said last time, there is something that feels like, because that was so easy and it was, you know, I mean, the work that, that I, that went into sustaining that sobriety and I right. drinking again was, was, was not easy. There was nothing easy about it. Um, but I think that there is this, as I was saying last time, the fact that I just stopped that way, like that undermines how, how severe my problem was with alcohol. Um, and also, um, just, no, I mean, it just, it does, it undermines, it undermines. Yeah, it, it does, but it doesn't. I mean, and we're going to talk about the, you know, cause I took an AA, I did the AA path and you dabbled in that and it was part of your path, but it's not ultimately how you, you know, a big part of your recovery. And they, you know, one of the big things in, in AA is the desire, the obsession to drink being lifted from you. Yeah. And a lot of people experience what you did. People who could not go a day without drinking. Yeah. And, it, you know, that they could not go a day. Some of them in really bad shape. And they, the, it, the obsession was lifted from them. And that sounds like some magical woo-woo bullshit. But I do believe that it's true. And I... And I don't, it doesn't really matter why it happened. It doesn't mean that it was easy for it, that drinking was pretty for you to me. And it doesn't mean that it was easy for you. You know, the path has been easy since that everyone who is, who has put it together, any amount of sobriety will say that the recovery part, it happens after you put down the drink and it's all the shit that you're left with. And, um, none of that is easy. 
it's the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, no, so just because it's not easy also doesn't mean it's not beautiful. Right. And I think that's, Oh, one totally. Of things is that like, this has been joy. It's been, it's been terribly hard, but it's also been just, it's the, it's life on full blast, right? Like everything. I didn't really go through that whole, um, anhedonia thing where like there was a paler, you know, I didn't really go through that loss of pleasure. I mean, for me, it was, even though it was, I mean, I was crawling on my floor. I was crying more than I've ever cried. I went through, you know, I mean, it, it was, you know, like the, the stuff we're going to get into on the show is just, we'll, you know, speak volumes for that, but it was also, enjoyable and beautiful and big. And, you know, the last couple of years, you know, while they've been, um, it's been a lot of hard work and days, you know, it's not, it's not easy. Like nothing about it is easy. It's been big and beautiful and rewarding. Right. And so there's this, like, there was the, the flip for me, you know, the reason, you know, I'm instead of trying to deconstruct it, I mean, it just alcohol, it, it just disgusted me. It turned me off his work, his words, this, whatever that whole thing was. It just, I had, I had lived my life trying to keep alcohol in it. And all of a sudden the clarity of how stupid drinking is what, and, and how destructive it is and how against nature it is to put that much crap in your body or do, you know, it just, to me, that was yeah. really was the nail in the coffin, right? Like that along with a, you know, fortunate set of circumstances and see, and, you know, sequence of circumstances. But anyway, yeah. yeah. Good. <laughs> Finish. No, I think, I think, and I want to get back to like more of your story, but I think yeah. what the point is, is like, there needs to be it, there, you know, because you have since had a lot of people come to you and work with you that have a story that is similar to yours that, you know, it's important that all these stories are out. I mean, what you gave to me, I remember once you said to me, um, when I was still really desperately pissed off that I had to quit and I knew I did. And you said, do you miss drinking? And I was like, what kind of question is that? Of course I miss drinking. I miss it desperately, but you were serious. And I realized that, that you were in a place where you didn't feel like that. And in it, that's like a light bulb, you know, that's a voice that isn't, it's not actually uh, usually framed that way. And so, um, so anyway, let's, let's go back a little bit. Cause I want to get to, to why, you know, sort of bring up to the future, but yeah. future, bring you up to the present. So when did you, when did you start hip sobriety and like, why did you start it? Um, so I started a blog, uh, uh, called Little Miss Surrendered very shortly after I stopped drinking. I started it in um, May 2000. I stopped drinking in April, finally, in April 2013. And I started my, I started Little Miss Surrendered, uh, this little anonymous blog in May 2013. And I, I did it. The impetus for that was because I just needed to write. And I had um, a very, I would say, I had a, a nice little fantasy of um, being this anonymous blogger that would somehow gain recognition for her musings in sobriety. And because I felt like my story just needed to get out there. Um, I, I felt, um, I'd always felt like, I, you know, in my friendships, I always felt like just weird shit happened to me and that this experience that I was going through, it was, it was, it was magical, right? It was, it was awful, but it was magical and I wanted to capture it. And so I started, my friend, um, my friend gave me a copy of Carry On Warrior by Glennon Melton and I just 
ate it up and I felt, um, I, I identified very much with her story and she was writing about the things that I wanted to write about, which, Mm -hmm. which were the gross parts. And, um, yeah. And so I started a blog in, uh, God in, um, May, 2013, and I didn't write very much. And there were, there were reasons for, for starting it in the beginning. And, and they changed over the years. I, you know, just like all of this, you, you know, just as I was evolving very quickly, so too is the reasons that I was writing. Mm-hmm. And at some point, I, I started, I mean, I started, Hip Sobriety didn't start until, until um, I, I secured the handles when I left my last job um, in March of 2014. But um, really, what what started out as just a, a need to release and a need to capture and to record and a need to put a voice out there that I thought was very mis, very underrepresented, um, it actually evolved into something much more. As I was going through my own recovery and I worked in healthcare, um, I I just started. You know, there were there were a lot of different things. Like first, you know, I had found this way of life that I I had I had been looking for my entire life, right? Freedom from alcohol, and I found things that worked for me. And the things that were working for me were not things that were being captured within the healthcare system. The meditation, acupuncture, the yoga, the reframing of it. You know, I found a course in miracles, and and just you know, which which was also a freeing practice. That you know, the mind shift, the understanding of how addiction worked. All of this stuff was not being offered through the healthcare system. And I saw very clearly that our patients were suffering from the things that the tools that I had found could alleviate. And so right. um, there was, you know, there was this need to bring forth what I had found. I mean, very early on, very early on, while I was still drinking, I went to one of my doctor friends and I just told him that I was going to fix myself using, not using my insurance card. And I was going to show him and, and you know, how to do that. <laughs> And I was going to be, you know, and I did. And that's why there's so many recordings of me, you know, like I just posted this post about how to quit smoking pot. I recorded me smoking my last joint, you know, and Mm -hmm. I recorded the entire journey because I felt like I wanted to come back to the other side and show people how to do it. And, and, and I knew the only way I could do it was if I had, if I, if I did it myself, right. If I did it myself. And so, you know, there was, there was the, the impetus was to, was really to bring forth what I had been through and say, Hey, you guys are missing it. Healthcare system. You're missing it. First of all, there's a lot of people that are suffering from addiction that are not full blown, but also, you know, like here's how to help people here are tools and here are different things. So there was that, but there was also, as I was going along, I, you know, and I talked about this last time in this, in the last interview that we did with <laughs> that I felt that when I came out and when I did come out at first as an alcoholic and that when I came out, um, specifically telling my friends that I had a problem, um, what I was seeing more and more was that people were using the fact that I had a problem and I was identifying as an alcoholic as a way for them to distance themselves from looking at their own issues. And right. I go out to all my friends and say, I think you have a drinking problem or I think you abuse alcohol terribly or, Hey, you know, like I just, my, my thing from the very beginning and Alan, part of Alan Carr's rules are do not try and change your friends. Right. And so I never did. I never, I I didn't, you know, even if I might've felt pangs of judgment, I just didn't, I didn't go out and try and change anybody else's behavior. I encouraged them to carry on as they would have carried on, but I wanted, I wanted to find a way to put out 
that, Hey, this is what it looks like. And Hey, just because I'm, you know, like just because I took this label does not mean that your drinking is okay. Right. Like, well, you also need, you wanted to, your friends were a small group of people, not that you don't have any friends. <laughs> it's a small group of people. Your message, you, some part of you felt, must've felt like you, like there are other people that needed to hear this. Yeah, where you absolutely. Were. Absolutely. And that was the impetus for starting the, the, like the, you know, the blog and that, that was the first impetus, right? That was the original impetus was just to get my story out because I felt that people absolutely needed to hear it. But I lived in San Francisco. I worked in startup. I work in tech. I worked, you know, I was in a big city. I was in the prime demographic of people that abuse alcohol and I was surrounded by people. And I'm not just talking about my friends. I'm talking about the demographic that they represent, which is that people that, you know, do abuse you know, like that go to yoga and green juice and then, you know, drink, you know, blackout of alcohol right. on the weekend. And, and that I had found that when I had said I had a problem, what I got from everyone else was a lot of, this is why I don't have a problem with alcohol. And mm-hmm. so I wanted to, like, there was, there's so many reasons. There's so many reasons, right? There is the breaking the stigma of it, right? They're standing up and saying, this is what it looks like. There is the creating more tools and putting out, you know, Know, the different way that I had found that was not the conventional way. There was talking about how the healthcare system was absolutely failing. You know, it's one of the biggest ways that we can catch people who are struggling with some sort of substance abuse. And it was just failing, falling on its face when it came to helping people. And yep. then there was, you know, being the voice of other women that I felt like, and, and women, right? Like I felt that I was an archetype. I felt that I was, I was not that different. I felt that there were just so many of me out there. And it's, it turns out from the amount of emails that I get from the amount of people that we interact with on Instagram, there are a lot, there are a lot. This is the emerging demographic of, of alcohol abusers. And so, you know, I mean, there's, there's all of this, but I started hip sobriety because I quit my job and I had, you know, there was, you know, the story is, is, is pretty simple. I just, I had been doing this anonymous blog and I had, um, gone home, you know, I, I, I talked about this in the last time I'd gone home for Christmas in 2013 and my mom had just overcome breast cancer and I had, you know, spent the better part of the year, not the better part of the year, but, you know, I had, I had observed her experience in, in beating cancer at, versus my experience, my very lonely experience in recovering from, from alcohol abuse. Right. Right. Just because I stopped doesn't mean that it was right. Like I said, like it was easy. There was a lot of work that went into to not drinking, right, and to also you know fixing the bulimia and fixing all the other things that came along with it, all of its friends. And so I did that on my own. And I was in, I was at home with my family over Christmas, and I just my self care wasn't. You know, you just wrote that article about the pregnancy principle. I just I wasn't I wasn't taking care of myself. I wasn't really granted the space to take care of myself because addiction is something that we you know recovering from addiction is a very personal thing that we do on our own without the support of our friends and family and not in, you know, and, and, and not in the public eye, right? Like recovery from yeah. is. And I, right. I had a breakdown because I wasn't able to do the things that I needed to do for myself. Like, you know, yoga was, you know, compromised and I felt like there were, you know, there were eye rolls when I did it and I was messing up family game time. And, um, there was just this one day where I, you know, baths were part of my recovery. I took a bath every single night when I was getting well, it was just part yep. of what I did as my, as my ritual of self-care and all day long, they kept on using 
the bath water and like the hot water. And there was just this point where at like 5 p.m., I came out and I was talking to my mom and my sister and I said, like, why is there no hot water? And they had turned on the dishwasher and they laughed about it and <laughs> I lost it. And it was just that like moment of really like, this is my care. This is my recovery. This is like, this is recovering me from, from a pretty, pretty, what I would call a deep illness. And, um, and it wasn't taken seriously. And so I had this talk on the way home from, my mom was taking me to the train a couple of days later. We just had the talk and I just, you know, I had never asked the question before and it had never occurred to me before, but I just, I turned to her after beating the crap out of her, you know, with my words and right. anger and just said, what is the difference between your recovery from cancer and my recovery from addiction? Just what is the difference? And she did not have a good answer to the question. And I always cry when I say this. And that's because there is no good answer to that question. We are meant to suffer this in silence. We are meant to suffer this in, you know, out of the public eye on our own, um, without the assistance that people that have illnesses that are recognized by the medical association or whatever are. And that's yep. not to say, I'm not getting into the, is it a disease? Isn't it a disease? Cause that's my mind still is even made up on that, but I'm just talking about the very, very real fact that it's seen as a choice and a self-destructive choice. And it's okay. a blamey kind of thing. And because of that, it's treated differently and people suffer deeply on their own. And they also suffer deep indignities as they're doing it. And yep. so the, you know, that kind of set the path. I came back, my guns ablaze and I stopped smoking pot and cigarettes. I went to New York and I ended up not, you know, I quit my job unintentionally. Just, I had no, I had just gotten a promotion. I had just been given, um, you know, everything that I had wanted um, and had been asking for just like weeks before reporting to the CEO, getting all of our wellness and being able to implement the stuff I've been collecting. And I just couldn't, my job stopped aligning and being, you know, being in a, a room and yelling at people to, and, you know, pushing to, to get, you know, to get shit done and budgets and all that stuff. Just, it stopped aligning. With right. Well, you, doing. you changed. I mean, you changed, you changed fast. Yeah. Right? Way too fast. I mean, not way too fast, but it just, I was, you know, I was also in Kundalini training and I was, I was trying to explain to somebody once, like I'm in, you know, for 20 hours in a weekend, I'm wearing all white and I'm dancing and I'm singing <laughs> a song and I'm singing. And then I go into a meeting, you know, and I'm talking about love and, and the meaning of um and all of this. And then I go into a meeting on Monday and, you know, I'm, you know, I'm yelling about where AR isn't, you know, um, you know, is out of control or, you know, why somebody right. finished this, you know, and so it's just, it just stopped aligning. And I, you know, and I, I quit my job quite unexpectedly. Um, but also, um, you know, and kind of unsure of what I was going to do. And then I headed back to California and, and, you know, I've, I've written about this and I'll link to the post, but I, I came back and I had a, a I did my sod and I did a 4 a.m. yoga class and I went all day and I was in bed by 6 p.m. that night and then I was on Instagram and I caught that Philip Seymour Hoffman had died and the fire that had been lit, right, and this whole cancer versus, you know, addiction thing and also just in quitting my job and having grown, you know, a pair of balls, I, I just, I, you know, you talked about this in your interview in, in um, and um, since right now, and you, you said it's, it was like having to pee and it was worse than having to pee. I just, my laptop, I had no energy <laughs> and my laptop. I just, I was on fire and the words poured out of me, right? They mm -hmm. out and I wrote this piece 
about the difference, you know, just about what Philip Seymour Hoffman's death meant and how we would all look at it and just give it some sort of fanfare and try and pick it apart and blame his demons. And then, you know, and then we'd move on and we wouldn't question how we treat addiction in this country. Yeah. So I sent it around. I was in, you know, I was, I was decently networked at the company I worked at and I sent it around to Gabrielle Glazer, who's the author of um, Her Best Kept Secret. And I sent it around to my fr- uh, just a couple of friends and um, my, you know, they, one of them, Wen Dembrowski, um, they all tweeted it. And I just was in this la la land about it, not somehow getting back to me. It was on my anonymous blog. And then Wen posted it to my LinkedIn profile. And I just, I kind of in that moment was about to take it down. And then I just went further the other direction and I posted it to my Facebook account. And yeah. And I took that down immediately because I got sympathy from somebody. Somebody was like, I'm so sorry. And I was like, oh God, that's not the point of this. And then, and then I put it back up the next day and, you know, some 3000 people read it and every single person in my, you know, I have over a thousand LinkedIn connections and every former boss, former lover, friend, parents of friends, you know, every single person I knew all of a sudden knew that I was spending a hundred dollars on waiters at wheels and puking it up. And that I was drinking three bottles of wine night. And so, um, it just was out. And my friend, Jane Sarasan Khan, who's a healthcare economist and who's, who's been one of my biggest supporters and cheerleaders. Um, she sent, she called me and just said, well, you know, this is what you're going to do. And, and, you know, where are we going with this? And, um, and you're like, oh, <laughs> yeah. And I got it. And I, I mean, I sent a CEO a text and I was like, this is what I'm like, here's how I'm going to exit the company. Instead of saying that I freaked out and said, I'm done. I'm going to actually like say, I'm going to go out and fix addiction. And I was kind of tongue in cheek about it. And I wrote a long letter to everyone on leaving the company. And I had, I still had my list of places I wanted to work at, but it, you know, it, I just never sent a resume out. I never even put my resume, to, I never even updated my resume. I just no. I knew I was going in this direction and, and that's, that's what I did. So I started hip sobriety as, you know, I mean, kind of the, as the first leg of the journey, but you know, the, yeah. that was, that's it. And it's just taken on a, a, you know, it's, it's become what it is just as a, an organic outgrowth of that. Yeah. It's awesome. It's just awesome. <laughs> it is. I, yeah. So what, what has been the most, this is a really hard question. I know. What's been the most surprising thing? And I know what the question is going to be because you asked me it already. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm changing the answer from what I said before. Um, the most surprising thing is how much more natural my life feels not mm-hmm. drinking than it ever did when I was drinking. There, I, I thought about this today because I didn't want to hesitate. And I think that for so long that I spent thinking that it would be other right? Like thinking that when you stop drinking, it would be other and unnatural and white knuckling and shame and all of this other crap. It has turned out to be what feels the most, it's when I've, I've never felt so much more in my skin. Um, and, and I don't, I don't think about alcohol. I don't, I don't, which isn't to say I don't occasionally see people drinking and think, you know, but it just doesn't enter my thought. I don't, if I didn't do what I did, I was writing this to a client the other day. If I didn't do what I did for a living, it wouldn't enter. It would be such a 
far thing from my mind. I rarely ever look at my days. I couldn't tell you how many days I have sober right now. I have an alarm on my calendar to remind me when, when anniversaries come up so I can like Instagram mm-hmm. it. But it's just, it's so natural that I, and it feels like it's been this way forever. It feels like, I mean, it's only been a year and a half since I stopped smoking pot and cigarettes. It's only been two and a half years since I stopped drinking, not even two and a half years since I stopped drinking. And it just, the most surprising thing is how natural it feels to be sober. And that's just so weird to think because forever I'm yeah, like, right. pity to fool, you know? Right. Well, it's, that's why the question, it's the surprising thing. Cause you wouldn't have thought ever, you know, I mean, I, and it's, um, and it, and it's funny to say that because you weren't born using drugs and alcohol. Like you, you didn't come into the world. You didn't scream into the world and, you know, hammered. Lift in my mouth. No, no, but, but it was so part of me at the end, you know, it just, I, we, it becomes so ingrained in us. We, you know, my friends were all drinkers. My mm-hmm. whole entire social life was about drinking and every event, every holiday, every celebration, every, everything, every dinner, brunches, it was so interwoven. And you know, this, you know, this, when you stop drinking, because all you see is how much people drink and it's just so part of us. And it's just so funny. It just, it doesn't even register when people order drinks and you know, it just doesn't, eat, none of it registers anymore. I don't go to a wedding and think, oh, I don't go, you know, I'm going, I'm going to Italy in, in a week. And I, the first time I went, I was terrified. Yeah. Um, you know, to, I went in 2013, three months after I stopped drinking. And, you know, last year I was concerned about smoking, you know, because it mm-hmm. smoked everywhere and I just stopped. But this, this, I just, it's not even, it doesn't even register. So yeah, that's the most surprising is how natural this feels and how just, how it's not, you know, it's not, I mean, that's the whole one day at a time for me thing doesn't register. You know, I don't take not drinking one day at a time because I don't think about drinking. I, you know, I take my life one day at a time, one moment at a time, but I don't yeah. take being free from alcohol. And that's, that's me, but that's for me, this has been my experience and that's been the most surprising part. Yeah. Yep. And we'll, I mean, we'll, we'll talk, we're going to talk about more of that too. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I think you, I mean, you sort of touched on it, but not really. Where do you see yourself going like with all of this? Well, I mean, currently, right, blogging and putting DIY stuff out, you know, I really truly want hip sobriety to be a very, you know, a hub and a place where people can go and find, you know, I mean, the goal is, the goal is to put as much free content and as much stuff out there as possible. So it's, so people not only find it, you know, like, I guess, find the tools that they need, but also to, to paint it in a different light. Um, this has been a really like, and I'm so, I've got it. I just have to caveat all of this. I'm so, I feel like monotone as I'm talking. Um, I'm tired <laughs> and I'm a day and I am PMSing. And so my tone is just down, but I've got to say like, it's been the most thrilling and it's been the most thrilling and exciting time. <laughs> it's been the most, it's been like, I, so, you know, I'd really try and convey on, on that right now. Like my goal in, in my message is really to say, this is, 
not bad guys. Like this is actually pretty awesome. And this, well, you don't, yeah, you don't sound like that at all. Okay. Thank God. I feel like it. Um, no, if anything, you sound way more joyful about getting sober than I ever did. And okay. Well, no, I mean, I sound tonight, not, but I mean, but I really truly like the, you know, hip sobriety is in what I'm doing currently is, is really to try and, and make sobriety accessible and desirable. That's it. Um, but where I see going with it, I mean, yeah. now I'm doing the best that I can by putting out what I can on a blog. But for me, I mean, the grand vision is 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 to is to create um, just highly accessible, uh, highly accessible addiction recovery, and not just for people that are far off on the addiction spectrum, but for people that are just starting to struggle with it, and to raise the conversation, right? To really truly allow people to look at this the same way that we look at things like our weight, right? Like I said, Mm -hmm. the last time there was that quote, where where is the woman that can admit she has a problem controlling her drink, right? I mean, we just- Where's that from? Oh God, I want to say it's Gabriel Gabriel Glazer. It's from something I've read recently, but it's just, we don't, it's just, it is, it's rare. We don't just say, oh God, I'm really having a hard time keeping it down to two drinks a night right now. It's oh, like we would talk about, I, you know, right, I can't right. stop eating pizza every night or whatever. That's right, right. So, I mean, that's just it, which is, I want to raise the conversation to where we're able to talk about this. I mean, it, it needs to move its way into the mainstream. It absolutely needs to move its way into the mainstream because it's something that affects such a significant portion of Americans and, mm-hmm. and of, 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 of people of the Western world and, and people of the world. It's, you know, in America, there's, there's 50 million people that struggle on some level with a, an abusive relationship with alcohol and 3% of them, less than 3% of them will seek treatment for it. And that has to change. And that starts by us actually being able to talk about it. It's it's raising the bar on it. It's raising the level of services that are provided. It's raising the accessibility. It's it's raising the understanding of it Um, and and really allowing people, you know, I mean, just giving people a chance to be able to deal with it uh, in a way that is is above ground, in a way that is individualized, in a way that is, is, is not so... (laughs) <laughs> daunting <laughs> yeah right yeah mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's so much I could say to that but but I you know I where where it's going is just is is hopefully in a way where it just continues to help people and in any possible way that I can and I don't know exactly what that looks like I know what I want it to look like but for right now it's a blog with some tools and it's a podcast with my homie, Laura. Um, (laughs) (laughs) No. And you're doing a lot of work with people one-on-one too. So yeah, I do. I do have clients, um, that I do one-on-one coaching with, but, um, yeah. Well, that's, that's part of the, you, you know, just from doing it for a year or whatever that you have no, you, you have a vision, but you don't, you would probably sell yourself short if you, tried to imagine what where it's all gonna go and what you're gonna do so that's right yeah yeah no you're you're exactly right so what it is today I'm actually I am incredibly proud of I am incredibly proud of and that's not easy for me to say because I'm very (laughs) proud of myself (laughs) yes I know I am very proud of what it is and what it's become and I am just so blessed by the many people that it has brought me into contact with and, Mm -hmm. and the, 
exposure to really the human condition and the human story. That totally. That oh my God. Boarding space. And it's just, and it's so green and it's so untapped and just, just being witness, being witness to a small fraction of what I've been able to, I will never do anything else. I will never work outside of this field. Ever. No. We're going to have, we have that on record, you know? <laughs> so, so who are you here for? Like who, who, who are you here for? Is it, the, is it the girl on the floor that, you know, or wakes up in the bed, your bed with no sheets and is it her? Is that who you're here for or, or who is it? No, I'm, I, you know, I'm here for her, for sure. I'm here to create the thing that I so desperately needed and that I had to create on my own. But I will say that I am here for whoever needs to hear this. And that is it. That's awesome. That's the best. That gives me the chills. Um, okay. So last question, my dear. Okay. Okay. Now no. you have to you have to tell me what you would say to the you of a few years ago. Just one thing. Two, if you need to. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Um oh, I think I would just tell her that she's really strong. I, mm. I think I'm my mind is is not just going back to her, but it's actually going with every single person that I've talked to. Since, you know, especially the clients um, that I've worked with. And I think the thing that we just don't see in ourselves and that I definitely didn't see in me then was that I was a life worth saving Mm -hmm. and that I was strong. And I just, I, I wanted to melt into the ground and disappear. And I was never suicidal, but I wouldn't have minded being buried in an earthquake or, you know, getting in a plane crash. I'll tell you that. But I would say you are strong and also you are worth it. And I want to say that to everybody that's listening because there's no difference between me and anyone else. And there's no difference between you and anyone else. We are all capable of these things and we are all strong and we are all worth saving for that. I love it. Can we end this now? Because I'm kind of a puddle of tears. And oh. <laughs> yes, we can end it. I know it's, it's been a day. It's been a night. Let's, let's say bye. And you're amazing. And I, um, I, every time I, even though I've heard, I've, I've heard your story. I, every time I hear it, I get, I feel very lucky to have you in my life and to have, you know, be walking this path with you and you are a special, special, special soul, my dear. So let's end it. Um, let's close out episode three of, of home. All right. And I also want to say that the next episode that we'll have, this does air every Wednesday, even though this week there was a hiccup, but next Wednesday we will be moving off of our interview and our introductory phase and moving into our first subjective in episode. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's going to be friends. 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 Yeah. So that's episode four that's coming up next Wednesday. And until then. Adios. Arrivederci. <laughs> okay.
Sweet. 